I live by trusting in Jesus who loves me and gave his life for me so I might live free and abundantly in him. I daily follow and trust in the Holy Spirit who leads me to love God and others for the benefit of those in Christ and those who have yet to know him. I walk in humility, recognizing my imperfections and give grace to everyone in their pursuit of Christ. Today, I surrender my life again to Jesus, allowing his character to be shown through me more and more. So my life continually invites people into the family of Christ. Let's read that together. I walk in humility. Oh, try that again. I didn't know there's two slides. You guys are so good. Here we go. I live by trusting in Jesus who loves me and gave his life for me so I might live free and abundantly in him. I daily follow and trust in the Holy Spirit who leads me to love God and others for the benefit of those in Christ and those who have yet to know him. I walk in humility, recognizing my imperfections and give grace to everyone in their pursuit of Christ. Today, I surrender my life again to Jesus, allowing his character to be shown through me more and more. So my life continually invites people into the family of Christ. God, we thank you for your word, for scripture, and for those who you inspired to write it. God, I pray that as we dig into this series that you would use Galatians and use this time in this book to shape us to be more like Jesus, to be more like people of hope and love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. The confession is something that I know personally I plan on saying every morning as a place to recenter my heart and uh, kind of recenter my focus and uh, when one of my coworkers makes me mad, I'm just kidding, they never make me mad. Um, when I have just that moment of life that you just, you just need that, that, that focus, we wanted something to really bring our hearts together on the book of Galatians. Um, if you're brand new, my name is Pastor Dave, I'm the pastor at K-First, and I'm hoping after the service that I can get to know you a little bit. Um, and uh, maybe you can answer a question or two about the church itself. But we're just stoked about Galatians. So if you have your Bibles, um, just go to Galatians chapter 1. Um, it's the first chapter of Galatians. Uh, if you're um, looking at it through your Bible, uh, get into the New Testament and start skipping through. And uh, it's a very short book, uh, just a few chapters long. And there's just so much within this book that God is just, I believe, going to enrich our life. I know that the, our youth group, our youth group is called Real, and our students are going to be actually going through the book of Galatians as well. So parents, I'm going to highly, highly, highly recommend get your students one of these scripture journals. Um, my, for my birthday, the staff bought me the entire New Testament. And so it's one of my favorite things is just to go through the scriptures slowly and I digest it by writing over on the blank side. And this might be a great tool for you just to talk as a family. And uh, I mean, the goal is for you, yes, to take some sermon notes, that's great. But more specifically, during the week, get into the book of Galatians. Do not take my word for it. Unless we're talking sports, do not always take my word for it. Uh, read the scripture for yourselves. We are a church that believes that God gave the scriptures to not just pastors. 
He gave it to the body. And we are a body that believes in the scriptures. Uh, and we're going to ask you to dive in. And that's why the acronym, I really honestly, I'm not a big guy on acronyms, but this one that we've got is such a huge, huge help to those that have never, ever read the scriptures and know how to read them. Uh, just the idea of finding a scripture, making, writing down your observations, think about how that would apply in your life, and then spend time in prayer over it. Imagine if you did this once a week. If you've never read your scriptures, I would be okay with once a week outside of Sunday morning. Let's start somewhere or maybe try every single morning. I'm going to say the confession and I'm going to go and I'm going to use soap today. Some of you, we all believe in this church, everybody should use soap daily. And all the parents said, amen. Yes, that's always a good thing. Oh, I love the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is so amazing. Um, it is known as Perhaps Paul's first letter, the Apostle Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, this dude grew up zealous for God, but had a misunderstanding what God was all about. And he had such a misunderstanding that when the, what was known as the way began, which was the people that followed after Jesus, we would call them Christians, when people began to follow Christ, his goal was to not just shut them down, but to destroy and or to kill them. So this guy had some issues. Imagine his social media in that day would have been amazing to kind of read. And at the same time, this guy has an encounter with the risen Jesus and his life is forever transformed. And he has what we know as missionary journeys that he goes throughout the regions of that part of the world. And one of those regions that we actually read about in Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 13, all the way through 16, we read that one of the areas that he planted a church was in this area of Galatia. And he establishes a church. He establishes a message. And what has happened in the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians is a very angry letter. But he's not mad at God. He's mad at something is happening and deterring them away from the truth of Jesus and settling for something that's not so true. And so if, you're, if you need a title to the sermon today, the title is just simply this, Measuring Up. Measuring Up. And in fact, if you need one thought, if you want to gather one thought with your cool, say, true pen, did you hear, what the, did you hear the group when, when uh, Kyle said that the other side is a highlighter? It's like, oh. <laughs> me like, like, double bonus. Don't you like swag? You know what swag is? S-W-A-G, stuff we all get. We love handing out this stuff to you guys and highlight stuff, circle stuff, but I want you to write this down for the beginning first step of the book of Galatians, this simple truth. Measurement follows grace. Grace doesn't follow measurement. There is something that triggered Paul to write a very passionate letter because a group came in and said, listen, if you do the right things, there you have got the grace of God. And Paul's like, that's not true. The grace of God precedes the measurement. The grace of God is what we step into and the measurement, the works, the things always follow 
grace. I'm hoping this morning to set a few people at liberty. I'm hoping this morning for every single person has ever thought to themselves, I don't measure up. Or you've looked at God and you've looked at others and you think to yourself, I will never be that good. I can never be that godly. God would never bless me that much. I'm hoping today to rescue a few people that you'll walk away saying, I will stay true to God, not by measuring myself by what other people say or do or what I see. I'm going to see that in Jesus, because of his grace, I will always measure up. That's my hope and my prayer for the six of you listening today clapping. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you today. We need your help. We need your guidance. And we pray that by word, by deed, by thought, by everything that we do today, that you would just show yourself magnificent and holy. Change us. Guard our hearts. Help us to be passionate about you. And Lord, I just speak healing and deliverance over every NFL ref. In Jesus' name, amen. This is my nemesis. Some of you are like, what is that? You've never been to Cedar Point as a kid. I remember going to Cedar Point with my family, and I've got a little sister. I'm the oldest, which means I'm always the wisest. So uh, we're going, and, and I remember talking about the roller coasters. I've never been scared of roller coasters. I like roller coasters until when I hit, for some reason, when I hit 26, something changed inside of me. I get what they call motion sickness. And, you know, throwing up on rides, it's just not cool. And so now I have to have drama. We're getting on other stuff. Now, I remember showing up to Cedar Point with my fam. And every time we went to a ride, guess what they took out? They saw me, they're like, wait, we have to measure him. And they would bring out this yellow and black stick and put it next to me and I could look up and see what I didn't measure up to. And then I would hear the immortal words, sorry, we can't let him ride the ride. I expected a little bit of mercy. Not all of us came out of the womb six foot tall, Jim Horn, all right? Not all of us were born with height. Some of us purposely stayed short to keep ourselves humble. I gave up my life in the NBA for you guys, all right? But I remember just walking around and everything I wanted to ride, we can't let them ride. And then my parents are like, well, we'll take you over to the kids' rides. Now I gotta ride with my sister. And I have to ride everything she rides, and I am miserable, I'm heartbroken, just trying to find something that I could ride that she couldn't ride, because I just wanted to be the older brother. I wanted to have something that she couldn't have, and yet, every time I went to a ride and I saw that stick, all I heard was not that you're not tall enough, it's that you don't measure up. There is something that psychologists call the imposter syndrome. And what the imposter syndrome is, it says that deep down inside, so many people, many people actually, actually believe that they are frauds. Because what ends up happening is we look at people and we think that they expect something of us and immediately we are thinking to ourselves, how can, how can we overcome what other people are assuming about us? 
we are thinking they have an expectation. So how, how can I come off that I'm not just meet, but I exceed their expectations? And even when people were to compliment us, people were to say nice things, many times we think they're complimenting us based upon what we see. But if they really knew who we were, they may not say those things. And there's this syndrome called the imposter syndrome. Man, you guys have such a good marriage and you're thinking, if they would have heard us on the way to church today. Man, if you could have heard the fight Ann and I had two days before we traveled to Baltimore to teach a marriage conference, I'm like, why are, why are we being asked to do this thing? I'm like, maybe that's the reason, because we're normal. Um, but how many of us, we don't think other people are normal, we just see their highlight reels, we see the things that are going on in their life and we think to ourselves, Okay, every compliment, if people knew what we went through to show them the glimpse that they see on Sunday or to show them what they see at work, if they knew what was going on at home, they would think we're a fraud. If they actually found out, they would think less of us than what we really are. And so that fear of being less than keeps us in this performance mode. What we've got in the book of Galatians is a mode that is being introduced to this brand new, small, young church that you have to perform in order to, to measure up to what God expects of you. And this group comes in, the group will call them, the scripture calls them, not we, it's like I came up with it. The scriptures call them the Judaizers who they are following Christ, but they have connected the old way of doing things. We call that the law. And that was in, back in the book of Exodus, where God gave Moses the law. He gave them things so that they would understand what sin was, understand the parameters to live by. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks, that the law was meant to be a blessing and not a curse to the people of God. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But these people came in where Jesus completed the law. They wanted to keep the ceremonial stuff going on and that, not that it was wrong, but when they said that you don't measure up unless you do what we think you should do, that's when they distorted the gospel. The biggest thing was circumcision, which is not the happiest subject to talk about. It's okay to laugh at stuff if you like. That's like a, a circumcision. Immediately the place goes awkward. What's he going to say? I got people clicking off on the live stream right now. Unless you're circumcised, which was the sign of Abraham before the law, you're not truly a follower of Jesus unless you wear a tie, unless your hair is cut a certain way, unless you act a certain way, unless you look like how we think you should look like you're not a true follower of Jesus. Does any of this sound familiar in the 2019 church? Jesus is what this is all about. I love what N.T. Wright says. He says, you can find out about the purpose of a book by the beginning and the end. And in Galatians chapter one, verses, I believe it's three through five, we see the heart that this is, we just talked about the book of Exodus. This is the new Exodus where Jesus leads us out of slavery. And we see that it is because of the death and resurrection of Jesus that we have new life. Then he skipped to the end into Galatians chapter six, verse 17. Paul says this, I now carry the marks of Jesus. 
Jesus. Jesus is where I began and with his work in my life. I don't carry the marks of what people think I should have. I carry the marks of Jesus. So it begins life in Jesus and I live my life in Jesus. Everything about this book is about Jesus. Everything about our lives should be about Jesus. And anytime we add anything to Jesus, we stop making it about Jesus. Because the measurement follows the grace. The change in our life should follow the grace. Grace doesn't follow the measurements. And so we've got this insanely awesome book where Paul's like, stop trading the simplicity of the gospel for a false way. In fact, I think the key verse that I want you to look at and even I want you to even consider memorizing it, working on this week is Galatians chapter one, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, Paul wasn't saying this in a nice way. Like, Paul's not trying to be passive aggressive. Paul's being very aggressive. It's like, yo, am I trying to make you or other people happy? No, because if I spend my life serving other people's opinions, I would cease serving the opinion and the person of Jesus because we can't serve two masters. You can't. And it's like, you've got to choose who you're going to serve. You can serve the Judaizers. You can serve what they say on social media. You can serve other people's opinions, or you could stop and just simply be a servant of Jesus because the requirement that that these Judaizers are put on on these new, brand new, but non-Jewish Christians was they were supposed to follow what they were following. These people in Galatia, they were what we call Gentiles, or they just simply were non-Jewish, which is most of us in the room. I don't think we've, we've got uh, a few Gentiles. I think we've got a lot of Gentiles in this room. And so this fits us. But these people said, you've got to look the way we want you to look. And what Je- Paul is trying to say is Jesus alone is the one that fulfilled the law and justifies us, that we are new creatures in him. God justifies us. God purifies us. God redeems us. And he gives us this beautiful word that sometimes we just take for granted. And the word is grace. Some of y'all need to write that in your scripture journals. The word grace. It has got a very simple definition. It simply means undeserved, matchless favor for the repentant. It's undeserved. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. We sing that in the song Reckless Love. You can't earn grace. It is freely given. When we lift up our face toward God, he doesn't wonder about giving us grace. He doesn't doesn't have to make up his mind. In fact, I wrote this earlier in my journal. Jesus is still not making up his mind about you. Jesus is not still making up his mind. He's not still wondering if he should show you grace. Have you ever had somebody that you wronged and you're wondering if they've forgiven you or not? And had that that weird awkward atmosphere that happens at work or at home or wherever where you're wondering, are they still lingering on the wrong things that I did? I want you to understand that Jesus is not still deciding things about you. He's already decided something. He loves you. And there's nothing that can separate you from his love. Listen, you can disappoint Jesus, but you can't turn off his love towards you. We can disappoint Jesus? I think I do a good job at it. 
There's some things that I do that are not Christ's life, and I believe that could disappoint the heart of God, but some of us have understood that disappointment equals a lack of love. It does not. Jesus is still not making up his mind about you, and you maybe showed up today and you thought that God hates your guts. Maybe you don't even believe in a God because, of a, because you've got this idea that us Christians believe in a hateful God. Any atheist that's ever talked to me about that, and they've talked to me about the God they don't believe in, I'm like, well, I don't believe in that God either because I believe in a God that made up his mind about us from the beginning of time, who knew us in the womb. He called us by name. He called us beautifully and wonderfully made. He is not still making up his mind. He loves you, period. And this grace, this gift, is accessed by faith or trust, and it's not accessed by human works. And Paul is trying to convey this by talking about this awesome word called the gospel. If you've never heard the definition of gospel, it's just, there's just two words you need to write down next to the word gospel, and the word gospel means good news. Which means that what comes out of the gospel should be good news. I've had people say, well, in my theology, God hates you until you come to him. I'm like, that doesn't sound like good news. Can I tell you this? You can reject God and he still loves you. You can run from God and he still loves you. You can fall flat on your face and trying to serve God and he still loves you. Then the gospel is this, that God so loved the world so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever, Jew or Gentile, that whoever, even Packers fans, whoever would call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. That whoever. The gospel is good news. In fact, I was reading the book of Romans this week. I was in Romans chapter one, and I was looking up the words gospel of God. Paul writes that. He says the gospel of God, and one commentator says this. The gospel of God could mean the gospel that God brings, or it could mean the gospel about God. But when you look at it in the Greek, you realize it's both. That the gospel of God is that which he brings, and it's all about himself. He gives us the gospel of himself, the good news of his love, his grace, and his mercy. So we get to Galatians 1. And there's three things I want you to write about the gospel. There are things that I want you to understand this. Get this in your scripture journals because there's simple questions I want to help you answer today. The first question is this. What is the source of the gospel? What is the source of the gospel? Chapter uh, 1, verse 11 through 12 says this. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by me is not, what? Man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man. I didn't download it. I didn't just copy and paste. Nor I wasn't taught it. But I received it through the revelation of Jesus. What is the source of the gospel? It is not God. It is God. It is not man. It is not tradition. It is not culture, according to verses 15 through 22. It is God. He is the source of the gospel. God gives us a message that is of himself. He is the source. Jesus is the complete source. The second question I want to answer for you is this. It's not just what is the source of the gospel. What is the substance of the gospel? Because it comes from God, but question, what is the substance of the gospel? I'm glad you've asked the question. Let me read you the same scripture. 
For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by me was not man's, nor did I receive it from any man, that I was, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to see just simply that Jesus is not the source, but he's also the substance. The essence of what it is. Paul is trying to help these people. You have made, listen, like Ben talked about getting involved, but getting involved is not necessarily the gospel. And Ben talked down on his drumming. He's like a Christian Phil Collins back there. Don't, he's good at what he does. Don't let him talk down on that. He's good at what he does. But the source and the substance is Jesus. And anytime we start manipulating it to be anything but Jesus, we are literally doing what to other people, what the Judaizers are doing to this church. So the third question is this. So what is the source? What is the substance? But what is the scope of the gospel? If the gospel is that which describes God and it comes from God himself, then what in the world is the scope? Who is this for? Verse 13. For you have heard in my former life of Judaism how I persecuted the church and violently and tried to uh, prosecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age amongst my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles. What does it say? I don't go and preach an opinion. I preach Jesus. I don't give my simple thoughts. I want to give Jesus. And it's not just giving the source and the substance, but listen to this. I was pleased to reveal this Sunday. I may preach him. And I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then three years. I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. The word, Cephas is Peter. If you need to know who that is, write that in your journal. Cephas is the same as the apostle Peter. And remained with him 15 days. And I saw no other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Why Paul has to write that, I do not know. And then I went to the regions of Syria and, and Cilicia, and I was still unknown, a non, unknown person to the churches in Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. The important part there is where, where Paul was preaching, because he was going to preach to people that were out of the Jewish family. He was going beyond the Jewish family. What does this simply mean? What's the scope? Who is this gospel for? Verses 13 through 16, we see a gospel of inclusion versus exclusion. 13 through 16, we see that it's more than tribal for the Jews, but it's now gone global into all the world. We see that it is a gospel of hope and not hopelessness. That is, according to verse 24, it is something that should result in God being glorified and not man being lifted up. 
What is the scope? The scope is for everybody in such a way that God is the only one that can get glory from what's taken place. Paul wasn't worried about him getting the cred. He was just worried about people knowing about Jesus. And when people looked at it, they didn't say, hey, look how good Paul is doing. It said they stopped and they glorified God. The source is Jesus. The substance is Jesus. And the scope is anybody and everybody that Jesus would ever want to reach. Well, Pastor Dave, that opens up the scope to a lot of people. You better believe it. Because you will never run into a person this week that does not matter to Jesus. You will never run into a person this week that does not matter to Jesus. They are all in the scope of things. So two thoughts I want to leave you with this is this. Number one, the gospel should point us first to the problem within ourselves and then point us to the only solution that is outside of ourselves. And that solution is, say his name with me, Jesus. The gospel The message given by God that is about God should confront us first with ourselves and our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, and understand that whatever's happening inside of us, the solution is not inside of us. Just believe in yourself. If you believe in magic, I think that's the McDonald's commercial. All right, that's... It's not about reaching inside to try to decide who you are. Can I tell you this? I have looked inside of me and I can't find my identity. I try to piece together one and the only solution for what's happening in the inside is that which God can do from the outside. Jesus being invited in and it's a life that is transformed from the inside out. That's what Paul's getting to. I love what Craig Bloomberg says. He says, no ritual and no commandment and no good deed of any kind can ever be a prerequisite for salvation because the grace offered to us by Jesus is our only hope. You know what I used to hear in Bible college? Stop trying to clean the fish before you get them into the boat. Let's put it in the modern day. Stop trying to change people before they come to Jesus. Because you're not the changing agent. You're not the changing agent. Let me help you out here before you send your friends to me. I'm not the changing agent. (laughs) Stop making appointments for me. You know who the changing agent? It's Jesus. Spirit of God. And it's his job to clean our lives. And some of us are so busy trying to shape people to make them more presentable. Hey, let's just be real. Some of us are so busy trying to shape our own lives to make ourselves presentable before the Lord. Stop trying to clean yourself up and give your life to Jesus. And when you give your life to Jesus, the change happens as a result. And you're not going to make Jesus like you anymore because you can never do enough because he already likes you enough. And you can never make him like you anymore because he likes you way more than you've ever imagined. He loves you more than you've ever imagined. Stop trying to get him to like you more. It's not possible because he loves you more than you've ever asked or imagined. You can't do any prerequisite to grace. Grace is just given. And the second thing that I want you to grasp from this, that Paul is trying to nail into the heart of the church in Galatia, is that the dominant voice of the gospel is Jesus. And any time that there is a louder voice than his in the gospel, it's not really the gospel. If works is a louder voice than grace, and I believe in works, I believe when you give a heart to Christ, there should be fruit that are coming from your life, but some of us think the fruit leads to the grace. But any time that Well, if you just give enough money, 
I had somebody ask me that. Hey, I want to visit your church. Am I supposed to write a check? I'm like, for what? To attend? No. That's what I thought church is supposed to do. I'm like, I'm not going to stop you from giving, but you don't have to give. Just come, just as you are. It's that beautiful song that used to be sang at, sung at every Billy Graham crusade. Come just as you are. Just come. And any dominant voice that is louder than Jesus, it's not really the gospel. Because louder voices will always point out how you will never measure up. And what happens is, and when we listen to the voices of not being enough, this is what you serve. And we find ourselves chasing after things, thinking that the measurement will lead us to grace. The changes we make lead us to the place where we actually measure up, but actually the measurement and the changes that God wants in our life follows grace. It's his grace that confronts us. And so there are some things that we just build our lives on. And I just, we made up a few things. Pastor Marty made me literally the heaviest illustration in the history of humanity. We could build our lives on work. We could stake our lives on work thinking this will be enough. If I just get the right job, if I can make the right pay, if I could stand on this and, and not fall. All right. I feel like I can measure up, but after a while, there's just nothing stable about this. And you can build your life if I just get the right position, if I just make enough money, then I'll measure up. But honestly, even on that, I could just rest and work and realize I'm just not enough. And some of you are working your fingers to the bone. I believe in work ethic. I, I come from a very blue collar home. I know what it's like to have a work ethic and to watch my parents work tireless hours to provide. I get it, I get it, I get it. But you can work yourself to the bone and realize that you will never measure up based upon what you do. And then we've got other things that we could try to measure up with. There's education, and I'm not anti-education. I've got my bachelor's degree. I want to go after my master's until I watch Pastor Kevin do his master's work, and I realize, ah, maybe I don't need my master's. And some of us think that we can measure up if we can just get the degree. We can measure up if we just do get that piece of paper on the wall. And I end up talking with people. They say, what? Somewhere around 80% of people are not working in the avenue for which they've got their degree. But when we just get an education, it will be enough. All right, let's, uh, what about marriage or family? Pastor, everything would be great if I could just find that perfect mate. All my problems will be gone if I just find that perfect man. Let me just tell you, there is no such thing as a perfect man. My ego needed something there and y'all didn't provide. <laughs> if I just find it, then it's gonna make everything better. If I just find that one, I just have the right kids. If I just have kids, just find the spouse. If I can get out of this marriage and get to the right, into the right marriage, but the problem is, is, is if you don't correct things in your own life that you can get out of one marriage, you just keep carrying you into the rest of them. 
Marriage was never meant to be the thing that helped us to measure up. What about abilities? If I can just get better skills. If I, get some, if I can get some skills. If I go to a good Tony Robbins uh, seminar. If I can memorize a little uh, Maxwell, then I'll measure up. I'll be honest. When I read Maxwell, I feel like the worst leader imaginable, and I just get depressed. I'm like, no good thing. But abilities, you, you all, let me tell you this. You'll always find someone that's better than you. I used to get depressed listening to other pastors because I'm like, man, I am a terrible preacher. And I began to realize, you know what? I like listening to people that make me feel stupid because that makes me better. But I can get all the skills in the world and it still doesn't measure up. I'll throw one more on here. Why not? We've got opportunities. Well, if I could just have the opportunities that so-and-so has, it'll be all good. If I can just have the same chance as so-and-so has, then I'll be enough. And I'll be enough. And I'll be enough. But can I just say that nothing here was ever meant to make you enough. And this is what Paul is combating. Because the Judaizers are coming in, they're telling to these, these Gentile believers, I know you've got Jesus, but you're not enough until you do what we think you should do. And if you actually do it, we'll find something else to make sure you're not enough. The dominant voice of their gospel was works and not Jesus. The dominant voice was, if you do what we want you to do and look like how we want you to look like, it's not enough. Can I encourage somebody in the house today? We were ne never, ever meant to find our own enoughness. <sighs> Babe, you can bring me my phone. I give someone a word today. Jesus is enough so you don't have to be. Jesus makes the measurement so you don't have to make the measurement. Some of us are so busy chasing somebody else's wants and sometimes ourselves. If we just find the right job, if we just find the right spouse, if we just do all of these really good things. Good things are just that. They're good. And listen, nothing that I gave you today was bad. Education is good. I've got education. Opportunities are good. I get opportunities. We all have all of those things, but they were never meant to give you enoughness. But in Christ, Christ brings the enoughness so that when we sit within the presence of Jesus and we find our enoughness in him, we can stop, number one, demanding other things to be our enoughness. John 1, in him was the fullness of Christ, which means stop placing demands on people and things to be your fullness. They were never meant or equipped to be your fullness. Jesus is meant to be your fullness. And I get my, I get my enoughness in him. You're tall enough to ride the ride. The grace equips you to ride the ride. 
Your standing in Jesus equips you to pursue the change that now he wants you to have. Now, some of you think, well, if we just give people grace, then they're just going to do whatever they want. No, because when we are seated with Jesus and we get our identity in Jesus, the measurement and the changes come from this, not vice versa. Because when you live vice versa, do you imagine what this would feel like laying on top of me? But that's what we do to people. And that's what people can do to us when we live to please man instead of to pleasing God. This is enoughness. I begin to kind of write down some measurement tools that we use every day. In fact, I ask my wife, I'm like, babe, give me some measurement tools. She goes, Google it. I'm like, all right. So I just started writing some things down because I believe, especially in America, we have measurement problems. We're so busy measuring with things around us that we haven't truly seen. In Jesus, we already measure up. And this is what we work from. We don't have to work for it. Because a scale can measure my weight, it doesn't measure my worth. A tape measure reveals my height, not my identity. My odometer tracks my distance traveled, not the, process, not the progress that I've made. A thermometer lets me know the temperature I live in, not the passion I hold. A clock tells me the time I live in, not the opportunity I'm losing. A GPS can show me my present location, but does not dictate my destiny. A time car can track my hours work, but not the quality of my life. The likes on your social media tells you who liked your post, not who likes you. We have measurement issues in the church, measurement issues in the culture. But if what if we set aside the scales that we judge other people and we also judge ourselves and just simply saw the only scale. That in Christ, I'm enough. There's, a old, there's an old saying that my dad taught me. You measure twice, cut once. Some of us are so busy trying to cut and shape our lives that we haven't just stopped to measure ourselves in the presence of the Lord to even see what in our lives needs to be changed. I go to prayer, I get myself in worship, and I measure twice, and I begin to look at Jesus because Jesus is, he's the source, and he's the substance, and gives me the scope of how to live my life. He gives me the scope of how to change my life. He gives me the scope of who to reach with my life, and I live my life from this place, and anytime I live it from less than this, I'm living from me. And so, therefore, it helps me to live in this place of being a servant of Jesus. We have measurement issues. We have places and people that we have stacked our lives against and we just say, we will never be enough, so why try? Why do we place our lives in Christ so we can stop just trying and we can just be? Someone called me the other day and says, how can I be a better husband? I said, do this, stop trying. That's not the answer I thought I was going to get. How can I be a better husband? Just stop trying to be a better husband. How about try to be Christ-like? Because the husbandness will come out of your Christ-ness. How, become, how do I be a better child of my parent? Stop trying to be a better child. 
find your identity in Jesus and live from this place and be, be the Jesus your parents need, be the Jesus your spouse needs, be the Jesus your world needs, because this, my friends, is the gospel of Jesus. Not the gospel of works, the gospel of Jesus. I'm not saying you don't need change. I know a number of you. A lot of you need some change. I've had people say, I saw so-and-so in the church. When are you going to tell them what they're doing is wrong? I said, do you want me to start with you or them? Who do you want me to start with? Because I'm going to have a long list and I might be at the front of the line. How about this is where we start? The source and the substance because it will fix the scope of doing what we do. Buy your heads.